And you can call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226 with your financial questions. That's 651-461-9226. And now, here's the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, financial advisor, Bruce Helmer. Bruce? Hey, Mom. Very nice to be with you, buddy. I appreciate you very much. Hey, Danny, um, one of the, probably the, the single question I get most often as a financial advisor is how much do I need to retire or how do I know I have money to be able to retire or some variation of the question that they want to make sure that they have enough money that they don't run out of money before they run out of breath. And at the risk of being self-serving, I will tell something that we do as standard operating procedure at Wealth Enhancement Group. And there's a lot of people in my space, a lot of very good firms in my world that are very good at a lot of things. They're very good at helping a client manage their money or they, they, you know, they might do some other planning. But in my experience, most people or in my space, most other advisors are not particularly good at what we call retirement income planning or helping the client to create a sustainable lifetime income. In fact, probably would rather the client didn't spend the money. They probably would rather the client just leave that money invested with them. I I get, I understand, Wealth Enhancement Group understands that the reason people save and invest and have retirement plans and have IRAs and have savings accounts and do all these things is because they want to be able to retire someday. They figure out a way to replace that paycheck that they're not getting anymore. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about some of the commonly accepted uh, uh, principles out there that I, I that I personally, as a firm, wealth enhancement group, questions. And we're going to talk about things that we think are the right ways to do this um, versus some of the prevailing wisdom that might be out there. So um, the first thing is with, re- with retirement income is you have to determine how want or need for the lifestyle that you want. And this is trickier than you might think. Now, a lot of people, a lot of listeners right now, Danny, are probably thinking, well, the this, when I retire, my expenses go down. I don't have all the costs associated with going to work, contributing to my company anymore, and that was thousands of dollars a year. Heck, maybe I even paid off my mortgage, and I don't have any house payments anymore. So I've retired, and my cost of living goes down. I don't need as much money. It would probably surprise a lot of our listeners to know that the vast majority of our clients actually spend more per year the first few years after they retire than they did before they retired. And you might go, wait a minute, why would that be? So many costs went away. That's true, but they tend to be replaced by other things. How many people have a bucket list or things they want to do Waiting for retirement. They're waiting until they have time. They're waiting until they have money to travel. It might be adventure, climbing a mountain, jumping out of an airplane, uh, whatever it is. These things probably take me. And you retire and you go do these things and check them off your, your bucket list. So it is not uncommon. In fact, I would tell you it's, it's the majority of the time, it's very typical that my clients will spend more after they retire than they did before. 
and they will certainly spend more, let's say, the first five years after they retire than they will the second five years. So in determining how much you want or how much you need, I think it's important to recognize that when you retire, your spending does not necessarily go down. Now, in some cases, it might or it can. If you don't have a bucket list and you're happy, you know, staying at home and, you know, that's, that, that, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But most people have some things that they want to do, and these things typically, you know, cost some money. So how much do we want? That's, that's the first thing. How do we determine what we want or need for our retirement income? And that's actually fairly easy to do. And I don't know if people can do that on their own, but that's, again, that's something that's standard operating procedure where we will help our clients determine you know, uh, the, what that number is uh, for them if they're not sure. Then the second thing we have to look at is what are our options to provide this income? Now, most people are going to be able to draw Social Security, um, and even there it gets tricky because do you take it when you first retire at age 62 or whatever age you retire at? Or do you wait to take it at full retirement age? Do you wait until 70? There's basically an eight-year window there with regard to Social Security, and it's, a, it's an age-old debate. Do I take it sooner where I get less money but I get it for more years, or do I wait longer where I get more money and getting it for less years? And again, there's calculations that we can do to help our clients determine what's probably the most effective for them. But on that one, I always warn clients that that's never going to be an exact science because we never know exactly when they're going to die. So we make some reasonable assumptions and we take the things that we do know and we can do that analysis and make a determination. So now you know that I've got, I'm just going to make up a number. Seven, I'm going to start taking $3,000 a month in Social Security benefits. Well, if my monthly number that I want for the income that I want is 5000 and Social Security only gives three, that means I've got to find $2,000 a month somewhere, and what are my options? And again, people might have 401k plans at work. They might have Roth IRAs. They might have just regular savings, taxable savings accounts. Um, or brokerage accounts, investments in the stock market that aren't in some sort of tax-sheltered vehicle. What are your options that you have to choose from? And here, Danny, and listeners, honestly, most people, when I encounter them for the first time, are heavily weighted in what we call traditional tax-deferred plans, like traditional 401Ks or traditional IRAs. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood. We are not against those plans. We think they are an important part of your retirement income planning process. And there's on these plans. You get a deduction for the contribution, so it reduces your income, thus reduces your tax the year you make the contribution. If it's a company 401k, there may be a matching contribution from your employer, so you get, quote, unquote, free money from your employer by participating in the plan. It's easy to participate in the plan. They just hold it from your paycheck. It's not very laborious to be able to save and invest. Um, and and, and the, the earnings or the, the investment, the earnings, you don't get a 1099. Earnings are tax deferred. So you don't have any tax liability on this growing account. So there's a lot of reasons why these plans are attractive and why we encourage participation. The problem is, is if that's the only thing, 
or 90 some percent of your money because now when you turn that into an income stream when you take withdrawals or distributions those are probably going to be taxable at that time at ordinary income tax rates so what we try to coach people to do and, and you've heard us talk about this on the show before listeners and danny but it, you can't say this too often we try to get our clients invited to pay different types Investments can be treated in three ways from a tax standpoint. They're either fully and immediately taxable, tax-deferred or tax-delayed, like a traditional 401k, or there's a tax advantage, meaning maybe we avoid the taxes altogether, like Roth IRA or Roth 401k. And our goal is to have clients to have money in all three of these tax categories to give them options on where they draw their income from when they retire and the tax consequence on the withdrawal, big consideration of your retirement income planning and doing what we call spending earnest money first, the smart, uh, the smart income strategy. So for example, if, um, if, if I, and I'm going to treat myself with a big reward, I'm going to go out and get a, a new pickup truck, whatever it is. And I can go into the dealership, it's $40,000 and finance it. But I say, no, I don't want to pay interest on this truck. I've got a million dollars in my 401k. I can just take a withdrawal out of there and pay cash. Well, that's you can't thousand dollars for taxes. You'd have to take out like fifty-five thousand to be able to pay the taxes. There's a tax lien or a tax liability on these tax-deferred plans. Again, that doesn't make them bad. That's just something you need to be aware of, that that income at retirement is going to be taxable when you make that withdrawal. Well, what if you have $40,000 in a Roth IRA? There is no tax. Now your pickup actually costs $40,000 instead of $55,000. And it does not mean that tax deferreds are bad. How do you spend that income on a tax deferred plan? Prevailing wisdom tells you don't spend it your 72 minimum distributions. Anything you take is taxable or the government mandates that you take it at each but you have to look at the big picture long term. There's taxes due on those plans no matter what. Either you're going to pay them or whoever inherits that money if you don't spend it, that person or people is going to pay the taxes. That's somebody's going to pay the taxes. There's no way around that. And maybe it's better if you pay it. Maybe it's better if you pay it sooner because maybe you pay a little bit of tax now to avoid a lot of tax later. But we always talk to our clients about soaking up the tax bracket that you're in anyway. If your income from other sources, your, your Social Security and if you have a pension or other, other income, sources of income that you might have, let's say that's $70,000. I just pulled that number out of the air, but it's not an unreasonable number. If you look at our tax tables, you can make up a married couple filing jointly can make about $81,000 before they go into a 22% tax bracket. At $70,000, you're in a 12% federal bracket. We might say to that client, let's take $10,000 out of your traditional IRA or your traditional 401k to soak up the bracket to get you to the top of the 12% bracket. And then if you still need additional income over and above that, do you have non-IRA really without tax liability? 
and I'll talk more about that in a second, or do we look, do you have any kind of a Roth? But if all of your money is in tax-deferred plans, you don't have those options. You've only got one place to take withdrawals from. So we want options, your retirement income, your withdrawals from your investments. We want you to have the option of tax-free, excuse me, tax-free, tax-deferred, and maybe fully and immediately taxable. Now, let me just stop there for a second, because so many people are coached to not have any money at all other than money in tax-sheltered plans like IRAs, 401ks, Roths, and so forth. They, it almost seemed like a, a, a negative or a crime to have a non-qualified or a non-IRA investment account. Now, look, it's true that you get a 1099 every year and you have to pay taxes on, on earnings or, or uh, dividends that are, that are paid or, and whatnot, just like you pay on the interest in a bank account, whether you spend that money or not, or whether it just stays in the bank account, you get a 1099 on those earnings and you pay taxes on them. So prevailing wisdom would say, well, that's bad. Let's try, let's try to not pay taxes on them. But there's certain advantages. Number one, that money's liquid. As I think most of our listeners know, traditional retirement plans like 401ks and IRAs, the plan is sort of locked up or unaccessible until 59 and a half. It's hard to get at the money without a detrimental impact, i.e. a 10% penalty before the age of 59 and a half. Well, these non-IRA accounts are liquid. You can get at the money if you want to or if you need to. Furthermore, these non-taxable accounts, because you're paying taxes every year on the earnings, if you use that money to go buy something, create additional tax liability because the tax liability is what the earnings whether you spending it doesn't increase your taxes like a draw from a traditional IRA from 401k does. And finally, two other advantages. The taxes on a non-IRA or a non-qualified account, you may be, may be able to be eligible for what's called long-term capital gains. The rates for long-term capital gains can be much, much lower than ordinary income tax rates. For example, might you know sell investment and pay taxes uh, at 15 percent for long-term capital gains but their ordinary income tax bracket might be 24 or 32 percent and literally maybe pay half as much tax that option is not available IRA withdrawals or 401k withdrawals are always taxed at ordinary income tax rates and then finally these taxable accounts that aren't sheltered in an IRA or a Roth IRA Roth IRA you actually get, under current tax law, you might be eligible for something called a step-up in basis. So, Denny, if I buy a stock today at a dollar a share, and it grows to be worth $100 a share, if I sell that stock, I have to pay the, the gain of $99 a share. I probably have a big tax liability. But if I die and I leave that stock to my kids, and, and it's worth $100 a share when I die, and at $100 a share, their basis steps up. Their basis is not the dollar that mine was. Their basis is $100. So they would not pay taxes on, on that inheritance. So this idea that investments, immediately taxable investments, is a bad thing. It's just wrong. It's just different. We have to know how to use all three of these tax treatments in conjunction with each other and ideally, our clients have dollars in all three of these areas 
because it creates much more flexibility on where and how we take our retirement income and minimize the taxes at that time. The other thing we look at when we talk about smart money options is, in fact, the rate of return on the various choices or options that we have to take our income from. Now, again, slightly oversimplified example, but if I've got a stock portfolio or it's mostly uh, stocks or stock funds in my retirement plan, and I've made a lot of gains over the years, and now I need money, taking a withdrawal from there and locking in those gains is never a bad idea. It's, it's, everyone knows the idea of, of investments in the market. You want to try to buy it when it's low and sell it when it's high. So if the market is up and we need income, it's not a bad idea to sell out of there. But what if the market's down? And I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to go into this deeper in the second half of the show. But if the market is down, I want to have some money somewhere where I don't have to sell stocks at an inopportune time and lock in losses or lock in very small gains when I used to have higher gains. So if I'm in the middle of a market retraction, I want to have some safe money with no risk of principal like cash. Maybe I take my income from the cash. So the smart money, where I draw my income from, is going to be a function of what are the investment results of the options I have and what are the tax points and combining that information to try to make sure I'm spending the smartest money first. And frequent listeners of the show know that everything I've been talking about so far really goes back to our more money make. So we want investments that are taxable, tax deferred, and tax advantaged. And we also want short-term, mid-term, long-term money. Short-term might be cash, cash, cash. Mid-term is probably going to be a diversified portfolio that includes stocks, but also includes bonds, alternative asset classes, maybe gold and silver and other precious metals, maybe commodities and real estate. A portfolio like that certainly could retract in the short-term if one of the asset classes within it takes a hit but history tells us because we're so diversified that if you give that five years or more, you're probably going to make a pretty decent rate of return. And then our long-term money, our most aggressive money, is where the bulk of our stock exposure lies. That's going to be mostly stocks. And that's why, Dane and listeners, you've heard us say on the show before, we don't know what the market will do in the short term. And frankly, we don't care because our clients that have money in stocks that's their long-term money where we've determined together they can leave that for 10, 12, 15, 20 years if they don't want to. If they do want to, if they want income and it's way up, you can take it sooner. But if it's not way up or if it's down or flat, we can leave that alone and go take midterm money or short-term money. So every retirement income planning fits into giving the client the most options that we can from where to draw that income. Finally, I'm close to a break, and I haven't even hardly taken a breath. I apologize. I get excited about this topic. I'm really passionate about this. So where we take our income from this year might be different than where we take it from next year. In fact, even the dollar amount we want might change from year to year. We know this year, because we just retired, we're going to go take that big trip next year or not. So as 
much as people would like to have a set it and forget it strategy, retirement income planning really necessitates looking at your options every year and determining where's the smartest money this year. Now, when we come back in the second half, I just want to see if we can get some questions in, but I also want to talk a little bit about something that a lot of listeners have probably heard of in terms of how big your withdrawals can be. They may have heard of the 4% rule, and I want to talk a little bit about that to wrap this up, and then we'll let listeners drive most of this. All right, very good, Bruce. In the meantime, uh, as we head to this uh, quick break, uh, we invite our listeners to join in on the conversation. As a matter of fact, if you think of a financial question midweek, have a special uh, number for you and an uh, email address as well. Here's the uh, phone number. If you think of a, a financial question midweek or so, one eight 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 six advice That's one eight 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 six advice In the meantime, uh, you can uh, email your questions, if that's easier, to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Again, email any questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. If you'd like to uh, call or text our studio line this morning or today, 651-461-9226, 651-461-9226. Uh, we'll take a break and uh, get back with more of, uh, with Bruce Helmer and your questions here on Your Money. Again, here's the phone number and text number. Six five one four six one nine two two six. If you have a financial question, you can call or text our studio line right now. Six five one four six one nine two two six. That's six five one four six one nine two two six. Once again, here's the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor Bruce Helmer. Bruce. Thank you, Danny Long. Thank you for staying with us, everyone. Or if you're just joining us, uh, we've been talking about how to create sustainable income at retirement, uh, what we call at Wealth Enhancement Group, Retirement Income Planning. It's standard operating procedure for our firm. This is something we do for all of our clients to make sure you don't run out of money before you run out of breath. It's uh, it's the important thing to, to know uh, before you retire, if you have enough money to be able to retire uh, uh, and live the lifestyle you want without running out of money. Denny and listeners, I apologize. I know that uh, our connection is not the greatest today. I usually do this from a landline, and for whatever reason, I couldn't make the landline work today, so this is uh, my cell phone. I apologize if it's not a great connection. I'll do the best I can. We'll do the the best we can. And, Denny, um, I got a couple more things I want to cover on the subject, but then uh, let's get listeners, hopefully, with uh, questions or texts because uh, they've always got interesting things to, to add to the conversation. Um, so the one thing I wanted to, to talk about, many of our listeners have heard of this 4% withdrawal rate. So let, let me explain what that is and how that came to be. So years ago, a lot of years ago, 20, I don't remember when, but, but you, could, you could create algorithms. And there's, there's, a, there's a concept called Monte Carlo simulations. And what that is is it's just a random, uh, like, 1,000 or more than 1,000 different simulations of varying sequence of returns in the market, in the stock and bond market. And the, the, the attempt was to determine what is a safe withdrawal rate that you can take without running out of money. And based on these Monte Carlo simulations, the industry kind of decided that 4% was the safe number. Now, I'm sure there's people listening right now that go, well, wait a minute, are you telling me I'm only going to earn 4% on, on my money? 
And the answer might be no, you might average much higher than that, in which the logical question then is, well, if, if I'm going to average 5 or 6 or 7 or 8% a year on my money, how could it be that I could only spend 4%? Why can't I, if I earn 6% a year, why can't I spend 6% a year? And the answer is, is because you might average 6% a year, but you might have a year that's 20%, but you might have a year that's negative 12%. And when you have those good years and bad years can make a big difference in terms of how long your money is going to last. So if you're taking out 4% every year and you adjust that for inflation, so think of this, think of somebody that retired in 2008, maybe some of you listening did, and you needed money out of your investments. You retired, but you still needed to buy, you know, butter and bread and gas and eggs, and you needed to eat and live. And, and so you, 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 you sold, uh, sold stocks to create income, and the market was down 50%. So you not only had the withdrawal, but you had market losses that you locked in. You might find you're spending the rest of your retirement trying to dig yourself out of that hole. So that's how the 4% uh, rule was arrived at. This, this, these algorithms, these Monte Carlo simulations of a, of, a, of a wide variety of sequence of returns, good and bad, and then based on that, that's how they, 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 they looked at thousands of different, uh, of, uh, uh, different uh, ways of doing it, different uh, uh, scenarios, and they determined that 4% was the safe number. Well, in recent years, people have even been questioning that, saying, you know, the, the market that we've had since 2009 is probably not repeatable for the next 10 or 12 years. So maybe it's even less than 4%. Maybe we can't assume 4%. Now, I don't buy into that, Denny and listeners. I think the withdrawal rate can actually be higher. Now, first of all, the 4% is just meant as kind of a rule of thumb. But obviously, that rate is going to be different. If I retire and I start needing income from my retirement portfolio at age 60, that's going to be a smaller withdrawal rate than, say, if I retire and need money at 70. Because at 70, I need the money for 10 years less, right? So my withdrawal rate can obviously be higher the longer I wait to start taking it. So this 4% rule is just intended as sort of a generic sort of rule of thumb or safe rate. But I think it's overly conservative. And I think it's overly conservative. Number one, there are specific investment strategies that we have available to us that can actually assure, assure people, assure the investor, assure our own clients, of a, of a withdrawal rate higher than 4%. Those things actually exist with contractual guarantees. Uh, now, there might be some negative things about those strategies that you might not like, and it's not, I'm not saying everybody should do that, but the, the opportunity is out there. But more importantly, perhaps in my mind, is these Monte Carlo simulations are assuming that when the market is down, again, sequence of returns is a big deal. They are assuming that when the market is down, investors are still taking that 4% income and are selling stocks at an inopportune time to create that income. Well, I look at our smart money strategy, and I look at having short-term, mid-term, and long-term money, and I, and I look at that and go, my clients are not going to sell their stocks when the market is down. We're going to have enough cash for at least four or five years of living expenses so that if the market is down, they can take their income from cash until we have a market recovery. The, the, the initial premise 
<laughs> pardon me, of this money of the of the algorithm of these Monte Carlo simulations. Monte Carlo simulations is not correct in my mind. We're not gonna let our clients do that. So I think people can actually withdraw more than four percent. Now again, how much they can actually withdraw is gonna vary from person to person and what's their investment portfolio look like. What are their options in terms of taxes? But we can we can we can zone in on a safe withdrawal rate, and I would not just automatically assume what I think is an overly conservative four percent. So uh, again, anyone close to retirement within ten years, five years, or a month, or all, maybe already recently retired, if you have not done this type of planning to determine how much do I really need for the lifestyle I want. And what are my options of where I create this paycheck? Because remember, that's that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to replace the paycheck that you don't get anymore. And maybe you don't need 100 cents on the dollar, but how much then do you need? And what are your options? And where's the smartest place to take these withdrawals or this income from every year? This is tricky. Most people can't do this by themselves. If you've tried to do it alone, you probably should get help. And uh, again, I'm not doing a commercial for us, but this is something that we do for all of our clients. And at the, again, at the risk of sounding self-serving, uh, we're pretty good at it. So, um, Danny, that's all I got in terms of what I wanted to make sure I got in for today. But if we have texts or calls, uh, let's see where the listeners want to take this. Absolutely. We have a line ready for you. We do have a bunch of text messages as well. But if you prefer to chat with Bruce, same number applies, 651 651- Four six one nine two two six again six five one four six one nine two two six and again before the show is over we'll give you another number and a website if you think of a financial question uh, later on in midweek uh, for example but uh, do call us or text us now six five one four six one nine two two six Bruce here's one sixty eight year old question is can I start withdrawing my RMD and if I can uh, if I do do I need to continue each year. So uh, for listeners that don't know, thanks, Danny, uh, and thanks to the texter. For listeners that don't know, the required minimum distribution actually begins at age 72. It used to be for years and years and years it was 70 and a half. Now it's age 72. So at age 68, you can certainly take a withdrawal from your IRA. In fact, we might coach you to do that. We might say take enough out to soak up whatever tax bracket you're already in anyway, but that's not really a required minimum distribution. It's just a withdrawal from your IRA. For it to actually qualify as a required minimum distribution, you have to be 72 years old. And the, the way the required minimum distribution is calculated, uh, you look at the value of the IRA or a combination of IRAs. If you have more than one, you have to add them all together and, you, and it's based on the December 31st value of the year prior to turning 72 or from 72 on every year. So my RMD, how, if I'm 72 or older, my RMD required minimum distribution in this year in 2022 is based on the value of my IRAs on December 31st of 2021. So we can't even do the calculation pardon me, until we have that December 31st number. And then it's basically a percentage um, 
that's driven by statistical life expectancy. And there's more than one way to do the calculation. You can do it on a joint life expectancy or on a single life expectancy. But whatever that, that, that number is, you have to use all of your IRAs to determine what the required minimum is, but you do not have to take withdrawals from all the IRAs. So if you have five IRAs, you have to add them all together on December 31st to get that total value. And then whatever that number is, it could all be taken out of one of the five IRAs. You don't have to take withdrawals from all five. And then a lot of people, a lot of our listeners might know this. When I am eligible for a required minimum distribution, I can take more than the minimum, but I can't take less. If I take less than I get caught, I'm going to get hit with a pretty severe penalty by the IRS. And the other thing is, if you're a charitably inclined person, if you're philanthropic and you want to give to charity, you can take all or any portion of your RMD up to $100,000, and you can send that directly to a charity or charities of your choosing, and then you don't pay taxes on, on, the, on the withdrawal. Remember I said earlier in the show, the withdrawals from IRA, somebody's going to pay the tax. Either you're going to pay the tax or whoever inherits those IRAs, they are going to pay the tax. This is a way around that. If this money goes directly to charity, then you don't have to pay the tax on your required minimum distribution on that part that goes directly to charity. So it's a very efficient, effective way to do your charitable giving. But to the original question from the texter, can you take an RMD at 68? No, it's not technically an RMD, but you can take withdrawals and you probably should. One other key point, let's say that, that you're working with me and I come to you and I say, let's take a withdrawal from your IRA, your 68, let's take enough that we soak up your tax bracket and you're still in the 12% bracket, but we take enough that you're bumping in to the bottom of the 22% bracket. And you look at me and say, why would I do that? I don't need that income this year. I might say, let's do it anyway and pay the tax and put the, the, the net balance into a Roth IRA. We call this a Roth conversion. So Roth conversions might not have made sense while you were still working and your income was such that you're in a 22 or 24 or higher percent tax bracket. But now you retire and your taxable income goes down, your tax bracket goes down, the Roth conversion might make all the sense in the world. And again, we're trying to get money in all three of these tax categories, fully and immediately taxable, tax deferred, and tax advantaged. And most people, in my experience, have a lot less in Roth or nothing in Roth, nothing in tax advantaged. And it's not too late, even at retirement, we might be able to shift some of your tax deferred money to tax advantaged money. Danny? All right. Here's, again, is our phone number. It also happens to be our text number here in the studio, 651-461-9226. Bruce, here's uh, another one. Is it a good time to roll over money from a 403B or 401K mutual funds to a Roth IRA mutual funds during a market downturn like we have now? or, Or is there a better time to do this is the question, too. Yep, I can expand on that. It's a really good question. So, um, talk about Roth conversion. There, there's some truth to the idea that if the market is down, so the account balance is down, and now you do that conversion or that transfer, the taxes are smaller because the dollar amount is, is down. But everybody knows, everybody listening knows, you don't want to sell when it's low. You want to you sell when it's high. So if the market is down, 
you want to stay in the market. So we're not selling out of, out, of, out of the stock market, but we might be switching from a tax category of tax deferred to tax advantaged. And the fact that the market is down might make that cheaper. You're still in the market. So when the market recovers, you will recover. But now you're recovering in this Roth IRA where there'll be no future taxes due. So a decline in the market might also be a good time to do a Roth conversion where maybe someone looked at it you know, six months ago and said it doesn't make sense right now. And maybe today it does because your account balance shrunk and the cost is smaller. But it, but it really gets down to how much am I converting and what kind of tax liability, what bracket am I looking at? But so the, the, the 10,000 foot answer to the question is yes, it might make more sense now that there's been some market retraction than it did before. But in terms of moving it from a 403B or a 401K, that's actually going to be a two-step process, and it actually probably isn't advisable or even feasible if you're still working for that company. So the 401K or the 403B, if you're still working there, you might not be able to shift those accounts outside of that corporate entity or that uh, if it's a 403B, it might be a school district or you know a, a federal entity. You might not be able to move it at all until you separate service or retire. So let's assume for a moment that you're retired. Then if you want to get it to Roth, it's still going to be a two-step process. Step number one is to get it from the 401k or the 403b to a, a traditional IRA. And that's done with the process that we call a custodian to custodian transfer. You don't even actually see the money. The check is made out to your IRA for the benefit of Bruce Helmer or whoever's doing the rollover. And it's not a taxable event. It's just transferring from one tax qualified account, a traditional 401k or a traditional 403b to an IRA. Once it lands in the IRA, then the second step is taking, taken where you do the analysis and say, should I convert any of this IRA to Roth IRA? There, that is going to be a taxable event. Whatever you convert from traditional IRA to Roth is treated as income and is taxable. But again, to the original question, if you've had some market retraction and it's 15 or 10 or 20% lower than what it was a couple months ago, it may make more sense now than it did then. But again, if you're still working, it may not even be feasible. And if you're not working, it's still going to be a two-step process. You can't go directly from traditional 401k to Roth IRA. You go to IRA first, then Roth IRA second. And again, that's something that a good advisor that does things like that on a daily basis can help you with if you've never done that before. It's a hard, tricky thing to try to do by yourself. Here's another one, Bruce. Uh, gives his name. He says he's 56 and he belongs to a union. I have an annuity, he says, a union uh, annuity 401k worth $980,000, and he would like to retire at 62. Should I move the money into a fixed account so that it stays safe or keep it in a more volatile fund like it is now? In fact, it's all spread out among 12 different funds and managed. That's the question. So, again, a really, really good question, and it's right on point of what we're talking about today with regard to retirement income planning. Um, the answer is that's enough money. And even if it was a lot less money, I, I again, I like diversification. I like a short-term bucket with, with 
little or no risk. I like a midterm bucket with moderate risk, and then I like some aggressive money. Now, how much of each of those three things, that's where the science comes in. That's where it comes into your age. How much income do you want at retirement? Um, how many years is this money going to have to last, so forth and so on. So the, the broad answer is it's not one thing. It's not stocks or safe. It's both. It's stocks and safe. In terms of how much goes into each one of those categories, that one's going to require some calculations, and that's where it gets a little bit uh, trickier. But um, the question is a logical one from the standpoint that so many people that still think traditionally and they think, well, when I retire, I've got to get more conservative. And, and the problem is too many people get too conservative because they're afraid of market risk. But again, if it's only your long-term money that has market risk, money that you say, I don't need to touch that. I've got other cash and other resources that I can live on if the market's down. If the market's way up, I can use it. But if the market's way, not way up, I can wait and, and give that time. Everybody still needs that type of money. How much they need is going to vary. But we want the aggregate return on your portfolio. When we look at all of it, the cash and the moderate and the aggressive, we want that aggregate return to keep pace or exceed the rate of inflation so that your money does not lose purchasing power. It is true that as we get closer to retirement or we get into retirement, the goal of our, of our investments probably changes. When we're 45 or 50, our, our primary goal or maybe our only goal is growth. We want this money to grow. We want it to, we want it to get bigger and bigger so that we can retire someday and have enough money to be able to retire. But as you shift into retirement, the priority probably changes from growth and you put more emphasis on preservation of what I've got and income from it, but you still need some growth. It may not be the top priority, but you still want some stock exposure in there. You're still going to need some growth, and it's not an either or or all or nothing. That much money, it's a combination of at least three different portfolios, one conservative, one moderate, one aggressive. That's the way I would do it. I'm convinced I'm right. And I would debate anybody, anytime, anywhere on the logic. And I know it works, Denny and listeners, because I saw it work in 2008. If it worked in 2008, I can't imagine an economic scenario where it doesn't work. It's been uh, the proof is in the pudding. We've done it. We've seen it work. Thanks, Bruce. We'll talk to you again next week. In the meantime, if you have a financial question, call it at 888-6-ADVICE. Or if you want to send an email question, do so at your money at wealthenhancement.com. See you back here next week with more of your money.